there was an elderly man sitting in a wheelchair, slumped, a physical display of hopelessness. His face was blank, no recognition of person or place, almost as if the light had been snuffed out. He sat there, sort of appearing as if one who had lost all. Elderly man with dementia. Who he was was gone. And then a nurse walked up to him and put earphones on his head and she pressed some buttons. And as the music from his youth, these familiar tunes to him, played into his ears, his bodies began, his body began to change. First his foot started tapping. And then his mouth moved just a little bit. And then you could hear quietly, quietly as he sang. And he began to sit up straighter in the chair. And his face became alive again. His, his eyes had light behind him. There was a smile that came to his face as he sang louder and louder. And you could see his head would start to nod and and then he lifted his hands as if he was directing, directing the music. The music brought him back to a place and a time that he knew, and maybe to even a person that he knew. The music brought life and hope back into his being. It was as if the music woke him up, bringing him back to life and filling his whole body with hope. That's what our passage is about today. It's about bringing life and hope back into the whole body. In Ezekiel's case, it's about bringing life and hope back to the whole house of Israel, to both the northern and the southern kingdoms who are now living in exile, and about bringing them back. It says clearly in the scripture that God is going to bring them back, all of Israel, that God can see their lack of life, their lack of hope, and that God is going to restore that life and that hope to the whole house of Israel. So we have three questions, three classic Bible study questions we're going to ask of this passage. What does this passage tell us about the human condition? What does this passage tell us about God? And what does this passage tell us about the relationship between God and humankind? So let's start with the first question. What does this passage tell us about the human condition? And by that, I mean typical, normal ways that humankind operates. Something that's, that's very, very common. It says in the scripture that the exiles felt hopeless. They felt dry and they felt completely cut off. The dry bones in the passage represent the exiles. And God is saying, I've heard. I've heard your sense of hopelessness. I've heard your cry of separation. But it doesn't tell us from what they feel separated. Do they feel separated from God, from each other, from the promised land, from the nation of Israel? Is it all of it? The people feel lifeless with no hope. 
They feel separated from that which could give them hope and life. I think all of us can relate to those three things in some way, shape, fashion, or form. Sometimes we feel hopeless, like there's no way out of the situation we've gotten ourselves in. Sometimes we feel cut off from God, from other people. Sometimes we feel dry, that we can't find the very thing that's going to quench this thirst, be it literal thirst or metaphorical thirst. I think, I think we can all relate to that. The month before I came to this congregation, the worship attendance was six or seven people each Sunday that month. And during that month, Dave and Debbie Pikarski invited Steve and I out to dinner. I'm sure they were going to pepper me with questions. I was going to pepper them with questions. We were going to get to know each other. And during that conversation, I said, all the advice that I'm getting from other senior pastors is don't change a thing for six months. Don't change the order of worship. Don't change the bulletin the design. Don't change what you're studying in Sunday school. And do not add anything for six months. I told this to the Pikarskis, and I clearly remember Debbie saying back to me, we don't have six months. This church was in a state of remnant. A very few that were here just holding on, trying to keep the doors of the church open, trying to find a way to keep the church alive. This was a church, it wasn't dead, but it was dry. And there was definitely, maybe not hopelessness, but a sense of we're on our last hope. And I know more than one of them certainly felt separated from God in the midst of that. So one of the first things I did when I got here is I asked the congregation to read a book with me, Bob Farr's Renovate or Die. I know, I know two of you have, have read it since then. And I asked them to read this book with me. And those who did said that they felt challenged, that they felt uplifted because they saw themselves in the pages. The title of the book, Renovate or Die, says a lot. The church had to make a decision. Are we going to die out or are we going to renovate? Are we going to change things so that we can live? What this church had was the human condition. Dry, hopeless, feeling cut off, but there was another human condition alive in this church, and that was the desire to live. The desire to live. The second question we ask of this passage, what does this passage tell us about God? God says to the mortal, can these bones live? The answer is yes, when God provides. God provides the skin and the tendons and the muscles. And so when, when these bodies now have this infrastructure, but they're not alive yet. And what does God say do? He says, command the, the breath to come. It's God's very own breath that brings life to these dry bones. It's God's own breath that breathes into that life. We have a God of life. We have a God who is a giver of life. We have a God whose very own breath was breathed into the first human being, and God's very own breath has been breathed into every single human being since then. We breathe because God brings us that breath. I pulled out Bob Farr's Renovator Die this week. Just take a look at it again. And I must confess that when I looked at it, I became very pleasantly surprised. 
We were deliberate about looking at that book two years ago, but I haven't looked at it since then, and I was just flummoxed at how close the church is following what this book recommended about renovating. I, I, I was just so surprised and very pleased <laughs> at the same time. The key thing was to go back to the basics. Trim off all the fluff and go back to the basics of what a church is supposed to be. And I looked at those five things. And one, the first thing he mentioned was authentic hospitality. And he said it starts in the parking lot. I don't remember that that's where the idea came from. But we're hospitable in the parking lot all the way through. And when you're greeted in here, it's genuine. It's genuine. That's the key. That's genuine. The second thing is, is to have praiseworthy worship. Worship filled with joy and hope and praise. I think we do that. I think we do that. He said, focus on making disciples. Well, we've got Bible study going on every Sunday. And we've had a confirmation class. And then he said, the third thing is to focus on missions. This church already had a heart for missions when I got there. But now we have not just general missions, but we have hands-on missions. Seven Loves East has renovated this house. No doubt about it. And then the fifth thing he said was generosity. In gifts, talents, and time, something this church does exceedingly well. Now there's always room for improvement, but when I saw those five things, I thought, you know, we got the basics. We've got the basics down, so what's next? I couldn't believe what some of the following chapters were in this book that I had read two years ago. It mentions know your present reality, which in my language is know your context. Y'all hear me talk about that a lot. Know your context. Know who you have here. Know who's out in the community. And that's your context. And then he talks about instead of doing programs, you do strategies. In other words, you don't take a program that works at first McKinney and drop it right in here and expect it to work exactly the same way. Instead, you look at who you have, where you are, you look at your context, and you strategize for the ministries that will work here. You don't reinvent the wheel, but you buy the wheel that matches the car. That's what he's mentioning. That's what he's talking about. And all of that sounds very, very familiar to me. Yesterday, we had our third Dreams and Goals workshop. We started back in October. It's been about two and a half months. We started off in October identifying what are the dreams and the values of this church. And then in November, we started talking about what are our gifts and weaknesses, what are the opportunities in the community, and what's happening in the community that's going to hinder what we want to do, and we set up three goals. And then we created three teams and told them, go off, work on these goals and strategies, and come back. And that's what we did yesterday as we brought them all back. Dave Parkarski has handouts for several. He's got several copies of the handout for you that shows you the goals and the strategy, strategies of this church moving forward for the next five years. But I want to go over them briefly with you. The first one is caring for the community. I don't think this church would, would even be able to breathe if we didn't care for other people. And we broke it down into three areas. One is the mission of the month. And what we said was is that we want to make sure that we keep that fresh. Make sure that we have different uniqueness when it comes to the different missions of the month. The second thing we talked about was Seven Loaves East. And here's the interesting thing. How do you gauge a goal on something like Seven Loaves East? And we're coming at it from two different points of view. We want to increase the number of families. And what was it, by 50% in three years? Increase the number of families who received by 50% in three years. And then the second thing is to continue to maintain 
the membership of this church participating in Seven Loaves East, doing the hands-on work. And the goal is to keep that 75, 80, 85%. Let me tell you, big churches, they don't have that percentage. They don't. That's something that's and the third thing we talk about was the missions and outreach budget. There's a lot of pride in this church from about 10 years ago. There was, there was an economic crash, and this church stepped up, and 30% of their budget went to missions and outreach. Right now, last year, it was 10.5%, and what we have in our budget for next year is 12.5%, and the goal is to have it never below 12.5 and to aim for 15%. I think we're already higher than that, quite frankly. And I think we're going to blow that one out of the water. The second goal that we had was to create a thriving children's and youth ministry within five years. And we broke down how to do that. In the first year, we're going to renovate that area right back there in that corner and the building that's back here that's got children's in it. That's going to be an all-church effort to do both of those things. We're going to have teacher training. We're going to decide on what curriculum we're going to have available so that when children come, we are ready. And the goal is that within two years, we're going to have monthly youth programming, within three years, monthly children's programming, and within five years, weekly Sunday school for children. That's our goal for that ministry, and we're going to work on that. Many of you have heard me say that children's ministry is a chicken and the egg problem. Well, even before you can have a chicken or an egg, you've got to have a coop. So we're going to renovate the coop and get the coop ready for the chicken and the eggs to come. Amen? The third area we talked about was small group ministry. And we decided, we set a goal for men's ministry that 50% of the men who worship regularly will be involved in a men's ministry. And that 50% of the women who worship regularly will be involved in women's ministry. Both of those areas are going to happen by experimentation because we got to figure out what's going to work in this context with these people. We also talked about having a choir and what that would look like over the next two to three years. And we also talked about that 30% of the worship population will be involved in dinners of some type within three years, four years? Four, four within four years, is that we will have that. And so we're talking about all of these things happening and coming together. How is that going to all happen? Through the breath that God breathes into us from the God who is the God of life. That's why the dry bones of this congregation is alive today, because our God is a God of life, a God who breathes into us and guides us and leads us. This congregation is about watching for the Holy Spirit and then following where the Holy Spirit leads. Now, sometimes that Holy Spirit feels like a soft, gentle breeze. And sometimes the Holy Spirit feels like a gale force wind shoving us forward. But when we see the Holy Spirit, we get excited because that's where we want to go. And it's the God of life, the giver of life, that breath that leads us through. The third question we want to ask of this text is, what is the relationship God is calling us to? What is the relationship between God and humankind that we see in this passage? The bones are brought back to life. But the life they now, they now know is different from what they had before. They are brought into a new life. Those exiles that went back to Israel were either the first or the third generation after those that had left. They hadn't grown up in the promised land. They didn't know it. So for them, it was a new life to go back. God calls us all 
into a new life that we experience with the breath of God, a life that we experience with God's very own inhale and exhale. For us, that new life is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us that new life, who fills us with that breath and leads us forward. This Advent season, we are professing new life in Jesus Christ. I read this in a commentary this past week, and it goes to the part of the passage that talks about this is for the glory of the Lord, that this new life gives witness to the glory of the Lord. And it said this, The Lord has determined for the sake of the divine reputation in the world to restore and to transform Israel so that all might come to recognize the Lord as the only God. Now, I want us to play with this sentence just a little bit. We're going to play what if. What if the Lord has determined for the sake of God's reputation in this world to restore and transform this church and each of us so that all might come to recognize the Lord as the only God? What if the Lord has determined for the sake of Christ's reputation in the world to restore and transform this church and each, each of us so that all our neighbors might encounter and come to re recognize Jesus Christ as the true Lord? What if the Lord has restored and transformed this place and these people and continues to transform this place and these people so that we might bring glory to God? So that we might bring glory to God. God calls us to a relationship of new life. A relationship of new life in Christ. The Lord determined that the divine reputation in the world was going to become a witness to all the world through Israel. It doesn't say that God did all of this just for Israel's sake. God did it for the world's sake. Every person sitting in this room, every person outside this room, past, present, and future, that's the all part. And who did Jesus come to save? All. All. This Advent season, we profess Jesus was born because God loves all people. Jesus was born because God loves you. Because God loves whoever's driving by right now. Because God loves the people who don't even know him. This morning, we lit a candle for peace. This peace is a peace that can only be known by the God of life breathing that peace into us, within us and around us, and is a peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning made the whole world know the peace of Christ that comes through the breath, the breath of the God of life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.